Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Jim and Austin. Israel and Iran have been mixing it up for a long time, but it's got to a new level, hasn't it, Jim? Uh, yeah, Iran is desperate. Uh, their their best hope now is to get the new Democratic Party uh, government in the United States uh, to do what the previous Democratic government had had done and was agree to lift sanctions. Uh now, the, the the new American government is a little less willing to do that because they have all the evidence uh, that occurred once the, once, uh, once the sanctions were imposed <clears throat> and as a result of Israeli uh, uh, operations, not just in attacking the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, Iranian nuclear weapons program, but also in getting all those documents out. In uh, 2018, <clears throat> those documents were later authenticated. The Israelis basically uh, allowed, you know, any any of the major Western allies uh, and, and maybe a few Arab ones as well to take a look at them. And they all nobody came away saying, "Oh no, they're a big fake." Uh, they were pretty authentic. I mean, it was pretty it was pretty convincing. The Iranians uh, recently admitted, "Yeah, okay, they're real." It was kind of hard to deny that half a ton of documents, a lot of them on, on CD-ROM, which means there were there was, I don't know, a million or something like that, different documents, uh, that the Israelis faked these uh, and a lot of other things. Uh, the same thing with the uh, the second uh, t- recent attack on the Nahantz, the, uh, the uh, nuclear material enrichment facility, which is now out of – according to the Iranians, it's out of action for nine months. Uh, maybe longer, uh, and uh, they have a problem or a advantage in Iran in that, and we've written about this in strategy page, is there are and have been for some time two factions within the religious dictatorship government. Now, in the West, we tend to call one faction moderate and the other radical, but I think the Israelis do and the Iranians do call it two factions nationalist and radical. Radical, of course, is the IRGC and the Quds Force. Um, and the nationalists are basically people who have been around for a long time before we dis- some Americans decided to, hey, these are, the, these are the moderates. They're not moderate. Uh, they simply have a different strategy for rebuilding Iran. They want to concentrate on building, rebuilding the economy. Because the thing that brought people out in the streets over the last two years and and basically had the IRGC kill 2,000 Iranians and imprison many, many more uh, was the economic conditions. Iran had promised that things would get better economically after the 2015 uh, treaty went into effect and sanctions were lifted. It didn't happen. Most Iranians knew why. Partly it was the corruption, which is now 
squarely in the in the laps, as it were, of the Islamic, uh, the, the religious dictatorship. I mean, there's been scandal after scandal, I mean, public scandal, mainly because the, the, the children or grandchildren, in some cases, of the founding, you know, Ayatollahs, the senior clerics, um, were caught using their uh, their social media a bit too freely, you know, uh, sending out. Uh, now, they did it. Admittedly, most of them did it to close, you know, to their own inner circle, as it were, of friends. Pictures of them cavorting, as it were, uh, often with their Iranian girlfriends in the West, you know, and doing very un-Islamic things. Now, uh, they apparently, uh, the religious dictatorship, you know, the members who were, you know, responsible for these, this hellspawn, as it were, were ordered to get them in shape. And they did rein in most of them because I think they were pretty. They were pretty harsh, as it were, because they 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 gave the not they gave the the government not just the bad name in the West, where you know they didn't have to go much farther to get a bad name, but inside Iran, those pictures got back to Iran because there were a lot of Iranians living outside Iran who communicate very carefully via the internet or by personal visits, you know, to Iran. Um, so it just takes it longer for you know bad news like that to get back into Iran. Well, get back it did, and this was notable because the uh, the 2018 insurrection, as it were, in inside Iran, uh, occurred throughout the country for the first time in areas that the uh, well the IRGC considered their homeland, the places where they recruited most of their people. For the Quds Force, for the IRGC, for the Basish, that's the paramilitary reserve force of basically street thugs. You know, whenever there's a disturbance, they get they get basically mobilized, put on a payroll for a while, and all they have to do is go out there and beat anybody who's protesting the government. Um, and uh, they realize that they're losing their recruiting base. They're losing their base, as we say in the states. Um, and this scared the IRGC. And what they proceeded to do, they do periodical, and this is something every totalitarian government in the modern period, like the communists um, and the Chinese, they have a secret polling operation which takes classified polls of what is going on in the country, unvarnished. You know, so the so the bosses can see what's really going as opposed as the the, the propaganda. You know, the, in other words, they understand the worst thing you can do is believe your own propaganda. No, no, we want a truth department if that can be believed. But they do, and the latest one, of course, eventually was leaked, which is another example of well, they blame it on the Israelis. But the problem is there are a lot more anti-government Iranians, and that's what scares them even more because they found out. With this latest operation against the nuclear facility, that the, the 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 key person, the key insider, was an Iranian who conveniently left a few days before the explosives were set off, you know, remotely from outside the facility. So there was nobody to catch. In fact, as far as I know, they haven't caught anybody yet. They identified this guy, which was mortifying, a trusted, you know, uh, technician working on the most sensitive uh, uh, operations. And, of course, this guy is also going to report that, of course, we're working on nuclear weapons. But they, the Israelis have had a lot more of those before. But a lot of people in the West just closed their ears and, yeah, no, 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 no. You know, we can make a deal. Uh, the uh, nationalists, if a deal is made, 
they want to basically divert a lot of that money to improving the economy. Now, the latest IRGC secret report said the same thing. Now, that's unusual because uh, it's the hardliners who have to sign off on these reports. I mean, they basically keep an eye. There are different departments in the IRGC that spy on each other. And again, that's an totalitarian government routine to make sure there is no, you know, a hotbed, as it were, of uh, resistance inside the government. Um, and they basically said emphatically that the main complaint of the Iranian people is the corruption within the government. Uh, they didn't name names because they'd have to name a lot of the families of the senior, you know, or the, the 12 uh, ayatollahs on the Council of Guardians. These are the guys who can veto anything uh, and are, are basically the uh, uh, Islamic dictatorship. Um, and uh, But they also didn't want names uh, coming out because a lot of them would be families of IRGC members. And some of those, some of those <laughs> families have already been embarrassed. Because the kids, or in some cases the adults, have been uh, have been publicly uh, uh, outed, as it were, uh, for enriching themselves at the expense of the rest of Iran. So everybody recognizes the problem now. Only the nationalists are willing to stop the diversion of billions of dollars a year uh, to the external wars, like the war against Israel, which is mainly the war in Syria. The war... All the Iranians, and there are more of them, they've, they've, they've had to cut their mercenary force a lot, but they've maintained as much as they could by basically hiring cut-rate Sunni uh, mercenaries who are willing, hey, they're starving, uh, and they're willing to work if they, get, they get, get a job. And they offer them a job basically maintaining order for Iran in areas close to uh, the Israeli border. Uh, and they're doing this all around, all through the border, and most of the border is occupied by Sunnis, Sunnis or uh, various other minorities. Um, but the Iranians are what the, uh, the IRGC is willing to make deals, and to, in order to basically get close enough to Israel to launch a, a devastating attack. Now, this latest missile attack, when we ran that. We do a last-minute update, as it were, to check for anything, and the news was coming in, and we I, we mentioned, you know, that this has happened before these, uh, you know, these uh, uh, air, anti-aircraft missiles, uh, if they don't self-destruct, and that's a mechanism, that's something else that can go wrong in the missile. They will con- they will continue on a ballistic trajectory and land inside Israel, but all the earlier ones have landed, you know, just across the border or not too far deep into uh, uh, Israel, and a couple of them were taken out. Uh, just in case, by the anti-missile systems Israel has. Uh, but the latest one got 300 kilometers into the uh, central Israel, which is basically a desert. But it's also where the uh, the Dimona, uh Israeli nuclear research facility is, uh, where their nuclear weapons were developed and updated and as, 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 so on and so forth. Um, the missile didn't hit anything of, of value. There were no casualties. It basically landed in the desert. Uh, and they they, bear, they were able to collect components, and apparently the early the early reports were yes it was a SA-5 Russian um, uh, SAM surface air missile which is commonly used by the Syrians, um, and, uh, and again we reported in our latest update on this that 
these missiles have been adapted in the past for over 50 years, especially American missiles like the uh, the Knight Hercules. Uh, uh, the U.S. Navy has um, uh, its its uh, its aircraft missiles also have a secondary role. It's it's only used in extremists because that makes it for a very expensive, you know, guided missile. Um, but the as far as the IRGC goes, no cost is too high in terms of money or the lives of people in other countries to get a shot in at the Israelis. And so far, they've had this unbroken string of, 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 of failures. And it's at the same time, the Israelis have a, a lot of successes, not just in destroying facilities, but in killing key people. And Soleimani, the the head of the Quds, the long time, the veteran head, head of the Quds Force, which was, was killed over a year ago by an American missile, uh, people – he was getting more publicity, which he didn't like uh, over the last year or so because he well, he turned out to be a key uh, IRGC you know, leader. Not only was he very good – a very good organizer and very good at handling as it were the farm, the branches, Hezbollah and the, the uh, Iraqi Hezbollah he's trying to organize. But he also was a peacemaker inside the government. Again, between the nationalists and the radicals, with him gone, you know, it's falling apart. His successor is a blabbermouth. In addition to being incompetent, he, I think, his latest, uh, I think, his latest, uh, he gives, he goes, he goes to other Muslim countries and gives, you know, uh, interviews to the media. And one, I think, last year, I forget the exact month, uh, it was in uh, in Pakistan. He said, oh, yeah, we're responsible for 18 attacks against the Israelis from Yemen. Now, you're not supposed to say that. Technically, Iran is, you know, just giving them verbal support. Well, that's not true. Uh, and the Israelis just hit the the, uh, the uh, Iranian spy ship in the Red Sea, which has been sitting there for, I think, four or five years now, um, uh, allegedly uh, keeping the uh, place safe from pirates. Uh, but also, they apparently just had an a unwritten deal where they would not use a lot of suicide boats, missiles, and, and naval mines to disrupt traffic if no, if the uh, if the Arab coalition uh, in Yemen did not take out uh, their boat. Well, the Israelis, you know, put a hole in the in the in the hull, and there may be more because the Israelis are saying, "Look, that's fine for you guys." Uh, but our country's at stake. You're just worried about, you know, with, uh, putting more naval forces in there, more effort into defending the Red Sea from Iran. Um, so, I mean, Israel and Saudi Arabia are not yet allies. And I think how to handle Yemen is one of the, the sticking points, among many others, uh, that is preventing that. But the Gulf Arabs, the UAE and 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 uh, and others are leaning this way kuwait uh they're all for an alliance with israel because the uae, UAE pulled out its forces out of um, out of yemen uh last year again over differences with the uh with the saudis over how to handle now for the saudis it's it's a real threat because if the uh, the shia rebels in the north are not are left alone if there's any peace that doesn't basically put them under control of a central government, then the Iranians have a basically a, a sanctuary for launching more attacks on the Saudis. So you can see the Saudi point of view. Uh, I mean, but they're unwilling to commit major land forces to Yemen because they haven't got 
a lot of land forces. They haven't got a lot of land forces they can rely on. They, they've trained a lot of pilots um, in basically carrying out airstrikes, and that bothers the Iranians. So did the UAE. Uh, in fact, I think the UAE aircraft are still operating to a limited extent in, in Yemen, I think mainly for training purposes. You've got live targets you can practice on. Um, but uh, the Saudis simply don't have the capability of, uh, of, of shutting down the, uh, the Iranian presence in Yemen, and uh, they are at their wits' end. Uh, because they're basically threatened both from Iran directly, and as that attack on their oil facilities last year proved, and and from the the Yemenis. Um, so, Yemen, the Iranians feel they're in a pretty good uh, uh, situation if they can only basically not just get the uh, the sanctions lifted. That's important for them because they are very tight on cash. They've had to cut the payroll for Hezbollah, which caused a lot of unrest in, in, in Lebanon among Hezbollah, which is on its, it was rocking its, on its back on its heels anyway because of the, uh, the more disruptive influence they're having on the Lebanese government. Um, uh, and that's part of the desperation of Hezbollah because they've been losing popularity you know, for over a decade now. And when, they, when, they, when Iran ordered them to send thousands of Hezbollah gunmen Train gunmen into Syria that really hacked off the 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 uh, the Lebanese because the Lebanese expected that war to be over quickly and it would have been by 2015 or 2016 at the latest if Iran hadn't stepped up its 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 support which they were able to do after the sanctions were lifted and then Russia decided to come in mainly because the Iranians uh, were were successful. So the Russians said, hey, we can get a piece of this. The Russians have always wanted a, uh, a long-term naval base in the Mediterranean, and the Syrians – well, the Syrians technically have already given it to them. The 40-year lease has already been signed. But in addition, they threw in him and him uh, air base, a major air base up near uh, the Turkish border. Um, uh, that is basically the Russians have a long-term uh, lease on. So they got what they wanted, but now they have to hold on to it, and they're doing it. Along with the Turks, who are not there to really shut down the Assads, they just want to keep the, the remaining terrorists out of out of Turkey, or at least the terrorists they can't co-opt. Um, and uh, so, you know, the Assads are seriously uh, holding covert negotiations. Well, not so covert, covert of people like us are talking about um, with the uh, Israelis, because the Israelis have expressed a, a willingness to accept. You know, Assad's thing in power, and basically, Assad is the devil they know. Uh, you know, that's always a problem when you you know, kick out a, a dictatorship in a, in, a, in a hostile Arab country. You never know if the, the successor is going to have to, you know, become worse simply to maintain his position. Um, but the successor, if the successor in, to the Assad's is Iran, or if Iran simply makes sure that the Assad's you know, stay on their side. Israeli is in the same situation as Saudi Arabia. They have a a sworn enemy. I mean, um, uh, the uh, as far as Iran is concerned, the uh, the Saud family, the Saud clan, which would cobble together Saudi Arabia, you know, back in the twenties and thirties, uh, is is as bad as the Israelis. And the Americans are the great Satan because we have the most military power and we've been basically uh, major supporters militarily 
uh, of both Saudi Arabia and uh, and uh, and Israel. Um, and now this to 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 the man from Mars, so to speak, which is what we try to do when we analyze these things. It's absurd for Iran to think that they're going to overthrow. Uh, Saudi Arabia, and in effect, all the the, the Arabian Peninsula, you know, uh, uh, Arabs, as well as Israel, um, and do it without causing enormous devastation. That's one reason why nobody in that region wants the Iranians to get nukes. It's not that they don't; they're not certain that the Iranians would use nukes because that's not the way historically the Iranians have rolled. But that assumes that the radicals. The IRGC crowd, and they, and the, and the IRGC has, has threatened this in the past when things got really bad, uh, uh, you know, before the uh, 2015 uh, talks, um, and you know when basically the uh, Iranians were losing a lot of uh, of, of uh, situations. Uh, the IRGC said, you know, the the way to peace, the road to peace is not the road that we will support, which is another way of saying you value your lives, you know. You basically maintain our power and uh, allow us the opportunity, if necessary, to grab control of the nukes and do what you don't have the guts to do and uh, launch a nuclear strike on Israel. Which, of course, is most Iranians realize that's suicide, you know, because, you know, who we've been threatening it. We've been being bad boys for decades. And how many you know, the Americans, well, the Israelis will, uh, but even the Americans might pop a few nukes in there just to say, yeah, we, we help to cleanse the world of a, of a, of a as they say, existential threat. Um, so it's a very nasty situation, and the Iranians cannot enjoy the, enjoy the luxury of assuming the Iranians will magically, you know, see the light. And uh, and become the Iranians of the pre-revolution, you know, era. Austin, you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, Jim kind of Jim got a gave a, a, a great overview, and in some cases, uh, some detailed analysis of what the current situation. I I've said, you know, this was what Iran has been up to. And really, Dan, it's somewhere between 18 and 30 different countries on the planet, you know, even though it's the locale is basically running from the eastern Mediterranean to uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan and north. But, no, they've been operating South America and Africa as well, tangentially uh, in uh, in a couple of places in uh, uh, southeastern uh, uh, Asia, and I, I should—I can't leave out the Balkans and, and Europe because the uh, as Jim's written about this too, about the IRGC operatives uh, in Europe capable of, uh, of if not dir- dir- capable of carrying out terrorist attacks on their own, but promoting them uh, among uh, proxies. Uh, Proxy forces or, or proxy uh, uh, actors. They they could do it in the United States too. Theoretically, there was even a, uh, about three weeks ago. I noticed on one of the defense sites uh, on uh, uh, on the web, uh, someone mentioning a, a uh, it's the only place that I saw it a, a, a Iranian threat to carry out a, a, a 
uh, terrorist attacks in the United States. I mean, I, I, there, there was, I think, an Associated Press or Reuters release uh, on that coming from, uh, I think, attributed back to uh, to Tehran. But this was was article was talking about the. Uh, the capability of doing it, and depending on, uh, and it would depend on a heck of a uh, heck of a number of things uh, for them to pull off a big successful attack in the, in the U.S. But it's it's not really a gray area war anymore, Dan. Uh, it's uh, it's a slow war between uh, Iran and Israel. Uh, a hotter war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. If you look at, at uh, Yemen as the as the hot box, Jim, t- let me back up and add something. Uh, the uh, Yemen is Saudi Arabia's back door, and that's that is the way the Saudis uh, put it. That's they're vulnerable from the, uh, 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 to uh, being undermined and, and attacked. Uh, from Yemen, and uh, like like Jim said with Israel, Israel pays real attention to the Iranian-controlled sectors uh, on the uh, Syria right up on their border, and Iran trying to encroach directly up to to a position to launch uh, an assault in Israel. Missile attacks, uh, and of course, I think they'd carry out uh, small-scale terrorist attacks uh, on the ground, if they could, certainly they've done that somewhat from Gaza. I shouldn't leave Gaza out of this, but the Saudi uh, Yemeni border—it's it, long, it's mountainous, it's Im- really impossible for the uh, Saudis uh, to patrol. That's why they want to change the uh, fight the Houthi rebels I- inside Yemen, and Iran keeps the. The hoodie's alive. To some degree, that you walk it back to the so-called, you know, the JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action that the Obama administration came up with, American money kept uh, Yemen going. I say kept uh, kept it going. Some of it was also siphoned off to the corruption Jim spoke about and the corrupt actors in the uh, Iranian dictatorship. Uh they, that's something that the, the, the Saudis were, were deeply concerned about, and so were the Israelis about the JCPOA. It really wasn't joint, and it certainly wasn't comprehensive because a number of these Iranian nuclear development sites were not uh, held up. You know, there were not rigorous inspections. The Iranians would have time, months in some cases, uh, to move, hide, rearrange uh, equipment. Uh, at, at, at some of these sites, and there were several military sites that were completely uh, uh, excluded from the JCPOA. It was it a was complete figment, and yet it was uh, sold by the Obama administration. And you hear the Biden administration wanting to bring it back as if it was some sort of, of magic. I think Jim's, <laughs> Jim's uh, way of describing it is, oh, we really don't want to hear about it. We don't really want to hear the truth of what's going on. Uh, that Israeli document theft that was that Jim referred to, the Israelis got into the document vault uh, of the um, top, top, top secret Iranian nuclear uh, uh, nuclear program. 
backs up everything I just said about the uh, uh, duplicity of the uh, Iranian program and the willful blindness of the uh, JCPOA. Now that's that's a diplomatic struggle, but it's worked out at <clears throat> at the at the really tactical action level. Well, the Israeli saying we're going to have to defend ourselves. So, you know, Jim was talking about Natanz. Uh, isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that fellow's name Karimi? The, uh, I, it doesn't matter his name, the technician that they've got yeah. Inter, Interpol's looking for now. Well, no, I, that's, that's, that's the thing. Interpol hasn't decided yet. I, I, just, I know that, Jim, yeah. I know that. I'm just amused by that, you know, that, that the Iranians went to Interpol. Uh, it, yeah, sure, I guess they, they, they use it, but, you know, th- this was a – a, a military sabotage and uh, operation, and I guess they could call the guy a, a, a criminal because he happens to be Iranian. But you, it, it, Dan, Jim described the situation in Iran is that, and it's not a too much of a gray area war in in Iran anymore, and really hasn't been since uh, I want to say December 2017, when. Uh, the, Iranians just started coming into the street in five of the major cities and, uh, you know, filtered out even into the countryside because they were so disgusted with corruption, as Jim mentioned, but also the, the decay of the economy. The money that they got out of the JCPOA uh, went in, you know, into the bank vaults of the, of the crooked and went into – uh, prosecute war in Syria and uh, and Yemen, and beginning in 2015, really, several Iranian cities have had severe uh, water shortages because of infrastructure collapse. They've uh, uh, the water systems needed to be uh, fixed and updated. There has been some effort on on that. I mean, I've I've read enough of it over the last six years, but the, the Ayatollah regime just let that go because it wasn't building the uh, is global Islamic uh, revolution, uh, and the Iranian people could just uh, suffer or get along. Or in case of one of the towns that's on the Iraqi border, they started bringing in water from Iraq for uh, for uh, several months. Uh, just across the border, the Iraqis had plenty of water, uh, and drinkable water. You've got that component, the economic uh, and the knowledge that is pervasive in Iran that this revolution from 1979 and 1880 is thoroughly corrupt and thoroughly failed. And it's held together, as Jim pointed out, by internal internal repression. Uh, Everybody knows about it. Uh, The impression, and I get that actually I've you, you get this from Iranian expatriates. It's back. It's worse. The corruption's worse than under the Pahlavis, the Shahs, and no one believes anything the regime says because back corruption. They're so crooked. Everyone knows that the money's been siphoned off. Everyone knows that they've created their own uh, cadre. Their kids are now. The girls and boys are all princelings uh, from the uh, uh, robe dictators and and the senior members of the uh, revolutionary guards and, and Al Quds forces. They've um, they've gone the same path that the uh, corrupt Shah's <coughs> regime went and uh, taken it a couple of quanta up. They're even 
again, like I said, worse than the Pahlavis. One last comment on the way the Israelis, I was going to get, get into the, the, the tactical or, or operations. The Israelis have been very, very astute about their strikes on Iranian-backed uh, proxies <clears throat> and Iranian operatives in, in Syria. You see fewer reports now, for one thing, as Jim pointed out, the Iranians are short of money to uh, prosecute the uh, war in Syria. But you see fewer reports because the Iranians have gotten very, very careful. And the Israelis are still watching them. But then a lot of the targets have already, the weapon storage sites and the like, have already been bombed and uh, in Syria. And the Israelis have moved, again, to operations in Iran, they've shown repeatedly that they can conduct uh, cyber-related, including their, what was it, two years ago they shut down a port by uh, messing up the uh, traffic control mechanisms and, and shutting down some of the uh, uh, digital controls of the uh, uh, equipment uh, loading and, uh, and offloading ships. Uh, you know, only lasted a, a couple of days, but it was uh, uh, traced to a, 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 a very astute cyber hack, and the Israelis are the ones who, who did it. We know about Stuxnet, which slowed down centrifuges and essentially burned them uh, burned them uh, out. And then the Tans, uh sophisticated attack, as far as we can tell, uh, combining. Uh, cyber as well as explosives, and then Jim mentioned the assassination of of key uh, uh, nuclear program uh, scientists. Uh, there was a spectacular one last year that involved a, a robotic um, uh, automatic cannon, essentially that was or a, 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 a machine, heavy machine gun that was uh, on a uh, hidden on a uh, on a vehicle, and it was launched. Uh, that attack was launched uh, remotely. Uh, the Ir Iranian government hasn't been able to stop them, and the message to the Iranian people is the Israelis can attack uh, uh, at will. It's not that easy. But, uh, it's not at will, but they can, if they want to, they can launch a pinpoint assassination attack using um, remote and robotic uh, robotic means. Uh, you'd think the Iranians would wake up, but as Jim says, the hardcores are, are, are they, they, they're, they are not rational. They are zealots. They're not going to be dealt with diplomatically. You're not going to reach a comprehensive agreement with them because their only uh, source of income is radical power. It, within in Iran, that's all they that's all they've got, and that's what they want to get their hand on a nuclear weapon, because then they can threaten everyone. So I'll leave it at that, Dan. So Jim, what's the end game in this? Is there an? Well, yeah, the Iranian people have to change their government. Uh, now that is that's the way. Iran has been changing its governments, its rulers, as its dynasty uh, for thousands of years. Uh, the Shah's father founded the Pahlavi des, uh, you know, dynasty by basically coming in and uh, telling the 
the uh, clergy, who have always been more active in politics than in any other Muslim country, uh, that if they get involved, they'll die. You know, he'll drown them in a river of blood. And he was the kind of guy who could back that up. The son, again, as Austin pointed out, <laughs> the next generation, you know, it, it tends to be more kinder and weaker. Um, and the Shah refused and, to And do lots that. of money in, in British and French and German banks. They, you know, that's, that's, that was well, the Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Shah realized that in order to maintain any prosperity in Iran, he had to maintain the viability of the oil their oil export business. And the Iranians also realized that they are they next to Israel and perhaps Turkey, they were the most advanced you know, technology uh, and culturally. I mean, they were Shia Muslims mainly despite this, the, the Arabs who were, you know, Sunnis. Um, and uh, they they wore their religion. Most Iranians wore it rather lightly, something you couldn't get away with in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and the threat of Iran to the Saudis goes goes back way before the revolution. One thing I'll never forget was in the it was the mid seventies, uh, maybe a little earlier. There was an article in New York Magazine that was a it's still around New York Magazine, but they do a lot of popular you know uh, current affairs pieces. And one one headline piece was but the threat of Iran to Saudi Arabia. And on the cover they had Iranian Marines storming ashore from. U.S. built, you know, amphibious ships um, uh, to basically take the Iranian oil. So that's an old threat as far as the uh, the Saudis are concerned. Now the Saudis were mad at us uh, before the the uh, the Ayatollahs took over because we were basically arming the Shah. Now we did that because we thought we'd keep the Shah in power, but we we missed the point that the Shah's got to keep the Shah in power, and people actually. Americans were warning him. He says, "Look, you got to be like your father." And he said, "Oh no, 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 no! I, I can do it. You know, I can do it without being, you know, uh, such a threat to the Iranian people." Uh, but you know, that may have been the, the the more humane way of dealing with it. But humane doesn't fly in Iran. I mean, in most countries in that part of the world, uh, you know, getting along and working things out peacefully. There's only a few countries uh, in the uh, in the uh, Middle East uh, that do that. Success. Successfully. And even those that try, like Lebanon had something going after, you know, well, basically, Middle Eastern history begins, modern Middle Eastern history begins when the when the Turks chose the wrong side in World War One and their empire, the Ottoman Empire, was basically destroyed. The British and the French took over administration for about a decade or so of the Arab countries. Well, Egypt had already separated itself, again, with British help from the Ottoman Empire, and the Italians had helped, you know, ease the Ottomans out of, of uh, Libya, um, and the French out of, you know, Algeria. And, of course, the Spanish did it themselves by driving the uh, the, the, uh, the Arabs out of the Andalus. Uh, but the, they, World War One finished the job, and a lot of Turks... As subsequent history, the uh, you know Ataturk and what have you demonstrated, were glad to be done with them. I mean, you know, it was painful for have to do it themselves. So yeah, the British in a way did them a favor, and and of course the uh, the Turks proved they were still Turks. You know, after the initial peace treaty, and the Turks said no, that won't do, and they went to war again, and they won. I mean, again by compromising, they weren't allowed to hang on to their oil. There was a lot of the, the only. Oil that Turkish Turkey was getting with all the oil discoveries uh, in um, 
uh, in the Middle East was in, in Mosul province. Now, Mosul province was, was one of the three regions of the uh, of Iraq. And it was never part – it was never individual. It was always part of what, what we would call metropolitan, the homeland of Turkey. Uh, uh, the Baghdad you know, province was considered a conquered you know, an occupied province. And the Basra province, which was majority Shia, was again – that was uh, uh, administered part. And some parts of, of the, uh, the Arabian Peninsula were kept out of Turkish hands by the Britons coming and saying, look – if you want to grab these Arabs, you got to go through us. And the Turks said, "Nah." I mean, the Turks, the Turks are calculating. They said, "It's not just not. It's just not worth it." And, and in fact, the Iranians are still very calculating in that they made probes into Africa, especially in Nigeria, and it didn't go very far. They probed in America, seeing if they could get something, you know, significant going. It didn't work. They tried it in South America. Didn't work, so they just pull back. I mean, they don't abandon these these operations. As Austin pointed out, they keep you know whatever agents they can you know in place. Uh, better to keep them uh, alive and uh, quiet, but still alive and active, than to have them keep trying to sling bombs until they're all dead. Um, but they will basically follow the path of least resistance. And when Yemen opened up an opportunity, the Iranians, the Iranians were already there. It turned out they later admitted that they'd been providing uh, aid to the uh, the Shia tribes in the north uh, for over a decade before you know things started to heat up in in 2013. Uh, and again, if you know the history of the region, you can understand why. When the Ottoman Empire fell apart, the Turks controlled. Uh, the Hejaz, that was the Mecca and Medina, which were always uh, cash cows, you know, because so many, uh, you know, uh, uh, pilgrims with money would come in, and as long and as long as that Turks offered protection and what have you, uh, they took a big chunk of it. Uh, but they also had to control the Red Sea coast, and that was Shia. South of the Hejaz, you had these Shia tribes, which extended uh, from, you know, uh, south of the Hejaz. The 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 Mecca area, uh, south into northern what is now northern Yemen. Now after the war, the the British took control of about one third of those tribes, incorporated them into their their two Yemens, as it were. There were two Yemens when the British left, and they later had a civil war and sort of made it one Yemen, which is one of the foundations of the current civil war. But anyway, the I, the Saudis got the rest, and the Saudis did what they did with all. The hostile tribes. Um, Saudi Arabia is a very tribal country. They basically, you know, stuffed their mouths with gold, as it were, and made them very happy. And they're so happy that they have not supported their their Shia brethren, you know, across the border in Yemen. Uh, they won't necessarily sign up, you know, to go fight them, but they remain loyal to the guy who pays them. And they know that the Yemenis cannot pay them if they want to give up their lifestyle and a lot more. Uh, sure, they can go to war with the Saudi Arabians, but they've tried that in the past. They tried it with the Turks, and the Saudis offered them, offer them a deal that they could live with. But the Saudis could not do that with Yemen, because Yemen, before the oil, was the most prosperous part of Saudi Arabia, Saudi, the Arabian Peninsula, because they had water. So the Yemen got the it was the only part of the Arabia that got the monsoon rains. The rest of it was basically a, a howling desert. Oil changed all that. But Iran even before the revolution, was looking at all that oil 
and saying, you know, we could make better use of this to rebuild our empire. Uh, so, you know, the threat was there even before the, the uh, you know, the Ayatollahs took over. Uh, and the Ayatollahs don't want to give it up because basically if they do, uh, the IRGC's secret reports, as it were, opinion surveys have shown – and, and, and actually earlier ones have leaked out and shown that a majority of, of, uh, of Iranians don't want to be Shia Muslims or Muslims at all anymore. A lot yeah. of them are quietly converting to Christianity, which is dangerous, uh, to the old religion, Rastafarianism, uh, the fire god, which they still practice a lot of those, those, those customs as cultural, you know, Iranian cultural artifacts. And the, the Ayatollahs try to stamp it out, but they've had it. No, no. Again. They'll, they'll push it as far as they can, and if there's too much pushback, they'll say, "All right, we can we can live with these these cultural you know uh, festivities." Uh, but a lot of Iranians are saying, "You know, these 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 this Muslim this Arab religion has done nothing but harm for Iran, and uh, and and that's been percolating within Iran for a long time, converting to Shia, uh, which was done by force, of course, like most big changes in Iran." Um, was acceptable to a lot of Iranians. Uh, the hardcore Sunni uh, Muslims died. Uh, again, another characteristic of Iranian politics. Uh, but they said, you know, it, may, it differentiates from the Arabs, who they always look down upon. Down upon, you know, it's the it's the, the Beverly Hillbillies. You know, uh, they're they're only powerful now because they have all that money and they're able to buy support, you know, from the West, et cetera, et cetera, um, and. That attitude is what scares the Arabs. They know it hasn't changed. They know that the, the Iranians still look them. And every time the Iranians have smart them, they get reminded. Like several attacks, the one, uh, what, I, was it two years ago? Uh, uh, allegedly from Yemen, but, you know, the UN inspectors are called in as a neutral body. And they, they basically verified what the, what the Saudi said. You know, some of these missiles didn't have the range to come all the way from Yemen. Uh, Jim, Jim, you're talking about the, the strike on the big uh, uh, Saudi uh, oil, production oil, facility. Oil, yeah. oil, oh, no, yeah. it was absolutely clear that some of those the, those um, drones ca- came from Iran as well for that attack. Well, the whole yeah. thing came from Iran because I think we we had we had satellite radar images. Yeah, that's it, right. Which that's right. we archived, and yeah. then we said, no, here it shows there's something coming in, <laughs> and we tracked them. And what the Iranians did was <laughs> they examined the radar coverage of the uh, the Iranian air defenses and their anti missile systems, and they basically left a blind spot. Uh, a, a low, if you came in low and slow, you would not be detected. Now, they've since changed that. I don't know how much help they're getting from Israel or the United States. A lot of it they're probably getting from from Israel via the United States. And they'll, they'll nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and they'll say, oh, fine, we got it from the Americans, as long as you take all the Hebrew labels off. Uh, <laughs> and the Israelis are fine with that because the Americans pay for it. Um, and uh, and everybody's happy except for the Iranians. But the fact is, the the authorities were warned before that what the Iranians could do. And say, oh no, they they just you know they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Now this is something they're trying to break, get out of, and what have you. Um, but again, cultural cultural characteristics cannot be ignored. Culture can be changed. I mean, for example, the least corrupt country in the Middle East. It's not Israel. They're second. The first is the United Arab Republics. And they realize, look, if we want to become a business center, they're already planning. They're way ahead of the Saudis uh, as a, as a post, 
petroleum, as it were. You, you know, mean the United um, Arab Emirates? The United, United Arab, Arab Emirates, uh, right? The UAR was was na- sorry, what yeah, Nasser yeah. called Egypt. Yeah. You know, the uh, the UAE has always been, you know, more uh, amenable to uh, outside partners, and that, that again, the British went in and protected them uh, from the Turks. And the UAE said, you know, we won't forget this, you know, and they've been faithful. And basically, they're a place where anybody can do business. Now, anybody means anybody, so it's unfortunate. But again, that's how they they maintain their status as a friend to all and a target to none. Even the Iranians, you know, don't go after them. Uh, not yet, anyway, uh, because it's a place they can send people in to do business. As well, Jim, is. Jim, they actually have gone after them because they grabbed oh, quite some time. Uh, well, I know, and they have claims, a couple they of those little islands. In the, yeah, they, in the, and they have claims on other great. territory. Right, uh, right. Some of it, you know, an integral <laughs> part of the UAE. But again, they're ready to say, "Look, we'll forget that as long as you let us, you know, uh, trade like everybody else." Now they can trade, but up to a point. Again, the the UAE is is uh, is really fanatic about maintaining the even-handedness. In other words, you know, other than the occasional you know uh, Western couple who get caught you know uh, making love in the sand dunes, uh, you know, as long as you follow certain rules which are liberal by Middle Eastern standards, they're a little restrictive by European standards. They're glad to have you. Um, and that's one reason why they're they're a vacation spot for a lot of you know uh, Arabs from more restrictive countries, especially Saudis, because they realize, hey, you want to let your hair down, but you can't afford you know to go to Europe, uh, and you don't want your your wives and daughters to go too crazy, you know, go to the UAE. You know, well, it's, picked, safe, picked, it's, safe, it's safe hedonism. They picked up some of the vacation tourism crowd that used to go to Lebanon before Lebanon was destroyed. Oh, well, they picked up more than the vacation. I know they did. I, I, can, know, I make a, can I make a, a point yeah. about uh, – and you were, I'm glad you got into the religious and cultural uh, components. And, Dan, this might be a way to, to, to uh, wind it up a little bit. They're, they're, the Zoroastrianism has, has been a, a cultural and really religious power – Within Iran, because that's they were Zoroastrian, Zarathustra, and the, their form of, of Shia, a Shiite uh, uh, Islam, is according to my Sunni uh, Imam experts, is just riddled with Zoroastrianism, which is when the the, the uh, Sunnis say <coughs> it's heretical. Uh, all right, that's that is one aspect of the problem, but. The next step back is, and Jim, you were talking about the uh, the ethnic conflict. Remember, Iran is Arianistan, Arians, and they the element of feeling superior to the Arab and Jewish Semites on the other side in 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 Sumer on the Arabian Peninsula, wherever it 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 really is part of the uh, aggressive energy on the part of the Iranian leadership. And they try to they try to tap that also within their uh, within their own uh, uh, country the feeling of ethnic superiority over the uh, Semites uh, across the uh, uh, across the Gulf. The problem is is that their government has failed their people so desperately that uh, Jim's right. I think that the 1996 edition of Quick and Dirty Guide to War 
what's going to uh, end the, the uh, Ayatollah regime in Iran. I'm paraphrasing it, Dan, but you can go back and look at the intro to that uh, Iran chapter. It's when the Iranian people decide they're willing to spill their blood in, inside to topple the regime. And we still haven't seen it yet. Well, that's, so that's a good... We're seeing more of it. No, that's yeah. right. Well, that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, and we'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Okay.